option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. Stewart with time. Let's it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Take a shot downfield, and it is held in by Bryce Bobo. What a one-handed catch! Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brukov to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! Oliver takes it, has a big one already, he's got room here, Isaiah Oliver cuts it back, punter to beat, he does, he'll take it, touchdown! Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio, Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, you tweeted out some of your thoughts after last Saturday's scrimmage, but for those people that don't maybe don't follow you on social media, what, what were your, your takeaways? Uh, in general, I thought it was more informative than I think maybe we thought going in. It was might just be deprivation, though. <laughs> yeah. Wanted to get some football into me, but I was actually pleasantly surprised by um, how clean the scrimmage was. I mean, obviously a few turnovers here and there. I think you kind of got what you were expecting out of Steven Montez, a couple of throws that audibly make you gasp um he can really sling the rock and he makes some throws that nobody else in this program that i've seen in a while has been able to throw a uh, couple mistakes though by and large not as consistent as i think you would want i think that's kind of what you're going to get from him this year a lot of highlight plays maybe some sequences where he's not quite as sharp as you would like to see yeah i, I obviously like most people i thought the first string defense played better than maybe i was expecting going to Folsom that yeah. day and I thought the second team offense actually performed a little bit better maybe than I was expecting as well. Yeah, I mean, Neuer, I think I've said this on the pod before, but I'm actually more comfortable with him as a backup than I was with Montez going into last year. I just feel really comfortable with his grasp of the offense. He's really accurate with the ball, doesn't make a ton of mistakes. It's kind of what you want in your backup. You want him to come in the game and not lose it for you. Um, and Montez obviously had a lot of games where he won the game for us, but... He can. He has that capability of th- making a big decision and uh, impacting the game in the wrong way too. So, yeah, it's nice to see Neuer get in there and look pretty comfortable. Yeah, the defense. Um, I've always kind of said I thought they would be a little bit better than the general expectation for them. Uh, they looked really good. I thought on all three phases of the game, the defensive line held up a lot more against a pretty good offensive line. We're expecting on uh, the secondary. I thought looked really good. Um, that was. I knew we had talent there, but I didn't know if it was going to look like Cheeto and Tedrick. And obviously, I don't think we have those guys, but it, they looked pretty comfortable back there. So that was nice to see. We actually have an interview with one of those defensive backs, Trey Udofia, for you on this show. We, we're going to be a pretty heavy mailbag show today. Um, and, and real quick, before we jump into some other topics, going back to Sam Noyer, I think it helps him that the second team offensive line has gotten quite a bit better than what we saw Early in McIntyre's tenure, a guy like Colby Purcell developing. Isaac Miller's finally healthy again. Brett Tons has actually earned some praise moving over from defensive line in the spring to offensive guard. So 
Dylan Middlemas, another guy that we've heard has actually improved. So that second team with the offensive line, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the freshmen, but those big freshman old linemen that didn't get a whole lot of run just physically, those are different bodies than what we saw offensive line, linemen show up early in the McIntyre tenure and, and certainly throughout the Embry and, and late during Dan Hawkins as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the first time first team line sorry, is probably the best we've seen here in a while, uh, but there's a lot of depth too. I think that if we have some injuries there, they're going to have some guys that can come in and play. Uh, they feel pretty confident, I think, in their second team and probably even a couple of the guys on that third team that are freshmen. And they obviously want a redshirt, but there's some big bodies in that in that third group as well. We were watching the place kickers while they were warming up, and I thought, and again, this is small sample size, but just the way the ball comes off James Stefano's foot, I'm pretty sure he's going to be their place kicker this year. It's just more consistently getting that pop off his foot. But then, unfortunately, when he's you know, under the light, so to speak, uh, he hits the go- the goalpost twice, and everyone's, of course, freaking out because uh, that reminds us of what Eric Goodman had to endure d- during his time at CU. Yeah, I was actually secretly enjoying some of the panic that was going on behind us in the stands <laughs> during the field goal kicking. Um, yeah, I mean, if you watched him, I mean, they probably kicked, I don't know, 30 or 40 balls at, at you know throughout the scrimmage off to the side there. And Stefano was certainly the most consistent, got the most distance, got the most height. Um, he's got a nice quick release, which you want to see from a field goal kicker. You can avoid some of those close blocks. He has a, you know, he doesn't step quite as far back as a lot of other field goal kickers to generate power, which makes you feel good about his leg strength. Alex Kinney was but, was booting the ball. McIntyre is trying to sell us that he's a different punter. Are you yeah. buying that? If they let him not do this stupid rugby style that they tried to force him to do last year, if you just let him kick it, um, I think he'll be a little more consistent. Although, I mean, I will say he's got a slow drop and Pressure has always been his biggest issue, and they weren't doing that in the scrimmage. So, right. um, I think he can be better than last year, and we know that for a fact. He was better his freshman year. So, uh, if he can get closer to that freshman year campaign, especially the second half of that freshman season, I think we'll be pretty um, satisfied with the results. Levon Wallace, a three-star safety prospect from California, with eight other offers, including a couple other Pac-12 options in Cal and Oregon State, committed to the Buffs not too long ago. He's a long six foot three, 185 pounder. I actually saw him and his family on their visit to Boulder, and that's six three, 185. You can't step in and play Pac-12 right now at that size. But I looked at his shoulders, and he looks like he's got the frame that he's going to be able to put some more weight as he matures. Uh, just watching his film, he's a fluid athlete, covers a lot of ground. What, what was your takeaway or your thoughts on his commitment? I mean, obviously McIntyre and staff loves those long-rangey guys in the secondary. He fits that mold perfectly. I think 185 is actually a pretty – not to play at college, but for now, for him, that he could easily get to 200, 210 in that frame, um, 6'3". He's not going to be a super stout guy probably at safety for us, but you have him as a ball hawk, and that's an important part of what we do in this defense. I think he's exactly what they were looking for back there. Yeah. Any uh, thoughts on the lack of two days? We never really touched on that. Now that they, they, they've moved back the calendar, you have basically the same amount of practices. It's just not uh, condensed the way it used to be. Yeah, I like it. I mean, your body breaks down if you got to practice multiple times in a day. Um, it stretches out the schedule a little bit, prevents injuries. Um, it, it affects them a little bit from a schoolwork perspective because some of these guys are still in summer school, so, yeah. they got it, so they're missing some practice time. But... The team seems to really like it. The coaching staff, I think, likes it more than they thought they were going to as well. They seem to have a little more energy from what the staff is saying, and that doesn't really surprise me. I mean, you get you get to have an actual, 
you know, eight hours of sleep or whatever before you get back up there and play football again. That's usually good for your body. Yeah, there can be something said about two days developing a toughness within a football team and being able to overcome adversity. And that's why you hear Mike McIntyre say that he wants really hot days, which he's not getting right now. Aside from this morning, which was a little bit warmer, he wants his team to have to face a little bit of adversity. Um, but I think the fact that you get more quality reps, right. it, 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 it over shadows any negative that you would get from yeah, yeah, I mean, developing I that the, toughness the adversity thing with the two days a lot of the time the, the first or the second practice of a two day is basically a walkthrough so it's almost like wasted repetitions anyway if you're having practice every day you can get more of that live action stuff in. and that's how you play football i mean obviously walkthroughs are good for details and learning plays and you know th- this is where you need to be on this particular play but nothing helps you play football like live reps yeah and obviously during camp, fans want to know about the true freshmen. Those are the, the fresh faces on campus. First off, most physically impressive to me, and the first one's a no-brainer, LaVisca yeah. Chenault. Yeah, uh, looks like Larry Fitzgerald already at 18 years old. Um, that's probably going to, you know, we've talked about that before. And he reminds me a lot of Larry Fitzgerald and Quan Bolden. I'm not a guy who's going to blow you away with speed, but he's going to smoke some people across the middle. He's going to box guys out. Um He's, I, I just can't imagine people getting around him. He's going to do a really nice job on the inside and just physically impressive wide receiver. He looks like he could be playing in the NFL right now. And Chris Miller, who's going to have a bright future, but he's swimming in his first camp, was getting really frustrated yeah. there with Chenault and his physicality there uh, during the scrimmage on, on Saturday. The other two guys that really stood out from a physicality standpoint that aren't going to actually play this year, Will Sherman and Grant Pauley. Yeah, well, I was going to say the exact same too. <laughs> Stepping right off the plane on DIA, going up to Boulder, and they can physically play Pac-12 football from day one. We yeah, haven't Sherman, seen that. Yeah, Sherman has an interesting, I should say, body type for an offensive lineman. He's a lot longer than I would have said um, before he came on campus. Got long arms, big lanky frame. Like he... He has the frame that he could really hold some big-time weight if he needed to. Grant Pauly, much more stout. Um, he's real stocky, thick in the lower half. He's a guy who's going to be tough to move off the ball throughout his career. He's He looked really impressive to me as well. Um, Dante Sparacco, who we've talked a lot about, is a guy that I am in love with physically. I think he's a freak athlete, can play a lot of different positions for them. I expect him to have a huge career at Colorado. Um, it was crazy, though, what – I, we've stood next to him enough at camps and stuff. At a, he was at a lot of the camps this summer. He's a big boy, like not quite as big as me, but a good 250 pounds and six foot three, six foot four at least. And he looked small at times on yeah. the field. That's when you know Colorado's starting to put together a really good, solid core of big time athletes. For sure. In terms of guys that are going to have to play from this true freshman class, we mentioned James Stefano. It's weird to talk about a 30 year old as a true <laughs> freshman, but he is. And so I would expect him to be one of those guys playing from that 2017 class. And we've talked about it quite a bit, the, the inside linebackers. I heard recently that uh, Carson Wells got moved to outside backer, which then leads me to believe that Nate Lamon and Jonathan Van Deese are probably going to play this year. Yeah, if they want two guys to play, um, then that'll be the case. I know. I actually thought Van Deese looked a lot better than I expected during that scrimmage. He wasn't quite as overmatched physically as maybe I was thinking. He's had a lot of surgeries to rehab. He's still a little bit um, light in the upper half. I'd like to see him gain 10, 15 pounds before we get him back out there because he has had some injury issues just to get him a little more physically prepared. But he looks fantastic in the scrimmage, blowing up plays in the backfield. Um we had heard Nate Landman was doing a really good job on I think he's probably the most likely to play right now, uh, just 
from his knowledge of the position, he kind of, I think he, the coaches have been mentioning he's a little more of a Rick Gamboa type. He just knows where to be on the field all the time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't surprise me at this point, especially if Wells is moving over, that both of those guys end up playing. And then I would expect most of this 2017 class to redshirt, but a couple other possibilities. One would be Katie Nixon, especially if you think he can be your starting kick returner with the whole Anthony Jewel Me situation up in the air. And he could be a pretty solid third option as a slot receiver. He's very short, but he's well put together for a freshman. Yeah, he's yeah he's jacked. I mean, there's no doubt about that. He's going to be tough to tackle because he's got such a low center of gravity. He's not going to get hit hard, I don't think, a whole bunch. You're going to have to really get lucky hitting him because he's so shifty and he's real low to the ground. I and mean, we mentioned Sparacco. I think there's a pretty high chance that he's going to be playing this year as well. Um, but out of the wide receivers, I don't really think any of them are going to play, which is awesome. Because, I mean, you have to feel really good. If you can sit LaVisca Chenault, you have a really damn good wide receiver core. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chenault, Will Sherman, Polly, we talked about Nixon. It's pretty clear that recruiting Allen, Texas, and DeSoto, that, that's a good Works thing. Out nice, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and the only other true freshman that I, I think could be on the field this year is Jared Poplowski. And we saw him quite a bit in that scrimmage because yeah. Dylan Keeney is out. And he, he can run around and catch the ball. Yeah, he looks really comfortable out there. Um, Chris Bounce is going to play a lot, too. I was surprised they were using Poplowski in goal line situations as well, two, wide, two tight end formation. I don't know if they really like that or it's just a numbers game with him. But uh, if he's physical enough as a freshman to – be responsible on the goal line as a blocker. That's big for his future. Because I mean, because he was definitely athletic enough to catch the balls in the red zone as well. It was interesting watching Eddie Lopez run around on some of those <laughs> passing routes. Yeah, he had a nice catch. He did. It's uh, not the most natural looking thing no, I've ever seen. Not. But he did look really comfortable blocking on the goal line and the, in the gauntlet drill. Uh, gave a little bit of business to I forget who he went up against. Somebody decent. That's right, uh, Leo Jackson. Too. I think maybe it was. That could be it. Yeah, and, and actually helped us out, so that was nice to see. Any other camp headlines that have caught your attention through 11 practices? Uh, I mean, it's just hard to really say without being there. I think, obviously, McIntyre looks really relaxed, which isn't really a headline so much as it's just usually you can tell whether or not he has some concerns about the team or not. Last year he was pretty relaxed going into camp. Yeah, he doesn't have the best season. poker face. Right, yeah. Um, so I think he feels really comfortable with this team's talent level. Um and I don't know if he thinks we're going to win 10 or whatever, but I think he has enough talent that if some things break our way, it's going to be another solid year. He seems really comfortable, especially with the depth of the team overall. He seems really happy with the freshmen um, and also the the fact that he doesn't have to play a ton of those guys. So he seems real happy with where this program is headed right now. If he continues to be this relaxed a week and a half away from the opener and leading up to the opener, then I, I think you could read into that a little bit, honestly. Because it was his first three years, he would get closer to that first game. And not that he would bark at the media or be rude, but you could just kind of, to your point, just see that he was not very comfortable with what he was seeing behind those practice gates. Last year, he was pretty consistently relaxed. I mean, there were maybe a couple days preseason last year where he wasn't all that happy, but generally his demeanor going into last season was much different than it was the previous three seasons. So that's uh, pretty encouraging uh, so far through this camp. Here's an interview that I did with Trey Udofia, redshirt freshman cornerback. Expected, especially with the whole Jumis situation, he's expected to step into that starting cornerback spot opposite Isaiah Oliver. This uh, camp coming along pretty well for you, Trey. What's What's been your takeaway here from the, the first 11 practices? Uh, I'm feeling a lot more comfortable. I feel like the team's starting to come together more and more. Uh, 
you know, we're trying to pick up where we left off in the spring and get more better than how we ended, and I think we're heading in the right direction right now. Are you primarily working with the, the first-team defense at cornerback? Yeah, I am. What, what is that experience like, going up against guys like Shea Fields, Bryce Bobo every day? Uh, obviously, uh, it's going to pay off during the season, but I would imagine it, it's pretty challenging during camp. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, last year playing scout defense, I went up against them every day. But I wasn't, like, they told us not to, like, go. So now I'm, like, full speed going against them. And it just helps me every day. Like, I'm not going to shut them down every time, and I'm learning new and new things um, from them. So it's not doing anything but helping. Coach McIntyre talks a lot about corners have uh, needing to have a short memory. Where are you at with that? Are you able to put a bad play behind you, or is, it, is, it, is that challenging? Uh, I can put a bad play behind me, but there's going to be those times where it's like sticks with me, you know, going back into the locker room, stuff like that, going back into meetings. Like you can't come out here and have a perfect day every single day. You're going to have those. You don't want to have those days, but you're going to have one of those days, and you just got to be able to put that aside. At this young stage, what would you consider to be your strengths as a cornerback? Uh, physical. Um, my speed is good, not the best. Like compared to Isaiah, Isaiah's got really good speed, but I feel like I'll improve on that and be one of the best with speed. Um I just think my biggest problem is the playbook. I'm definitely, I know a lot more than I ever have. Like, I feel comfortable with it, but I just need to be able to know it inside out. Are you on the side of Nick Fisher or, or, or Foe? Who, who are you getting your calls from uh, on the back end? Uh, most of the time, Nick Fisher, uh, but it switches a lot. So I've been working with both of them, doing good. What, uh, have there been any upperclassmen in that secondary room that have kind of taken you under their wing, that have mentored you here this last year? Uh, Foe helped me a lot, and uh, Isaiah and Nick also helped me a lot. Currently, you know, playbook and meetings, talking to me. Um, when I mess up, they're not getting on me like, oh, you suck type of deal. They're just teaching me the right way, so it's really helpful. A couple of times, Shadon Brown was really animated during that open scrimmage last Saturday. Is he pretty fiery? Coach, what's it been like playing for him since he got here? Yeah, I think he really brings that arm mentality uh, he's very just like quick to snap type of coach but I like him he's easy to work with friendly we get along well so no complaints you made a lot of plays on offense special teams in high school uh-huh. you looking forward to maybe get, you know getting your hands on a few balls this year and kind of showing what you can do there definitely you know they don't have me returning or anything so when I get a pick I'll just have to show them what I can do with the ball so looking forward to that what would constitute a, a successful 2017 for, for Trey Udofia um, you know, definitely a winning season as a team. Um, I don't know, for myself, starts, um, tackles, picks, whatever you can think of. Just whatever I can do the best, that's it. Thanks, Trey. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Well, I asked Trey what would constitute a successful season. What would your expectations be for him? He's certainly going to get beat at times. Yeah, we haven't seen a ton of him, or at least I hadn't, previous to that scrimmage. And honestly, I immediately was like, wow, this kid's really, really talented. Um, I felt a lot more comfortable with him right away than I thought. Came up in coverage, was able to press, um, good fluid movement, especially in the hips going backhand. I mean, he's going against legitimate receivers, too. It's not like they have him on the second team or third team guys. I mean, he gets to practice against probably one of the five best receivers he'll see all year, depending on who it is. Um, on opposite of him, he looks really comfortable. Um Julmi's being out obviously is a bummer, but the way that I that he looked in the scrimmage, I think Udofia would have started anyways. Probably, um, you obviously that's a depth issue a little bit there, but 
Man, I mean, yeah, he's going to make some mistakes. You see maybe like a similar season to what Isaiah Oliver had in his first year playing where he, you can just see that athleticism wasn't on the – he's going to play a lot more than Oliver did. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's going he's probably going to get beat over the top, probably miss some tackles, look soft at times, you know, against a big physical guy. But I think by and large he's going to have a really solid second, uh, second cornerback year for us. A lot of these college football players just don't look like the average college student there – they're just physical specimens. Trey Udofi's kind of got that baby face, and he's a, a smaller guy, obviously, as a corner. Um, but he, he's very athletic, a, a smart kid. Uh, so, yeah, I think the, the, the Trey Udofi's of the world, the Nick Fishers, those guys aren't going to have as big a drop-off as the national pundits that kind of look at what CU lost are going to expect. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest difference, right, is that those guys were all seniors, and now we have a younger group coming in it's just a, from a physicality standpoint there's a little bit different there and obviously Akella wasn't the most physical guy in the world so that's a little bit easier to replace there his ball skills though are going to be the difficult thing there um, but yeah I think it's just you have younger guys playing so it's not going to be quite as intimidating but there, there's some talent back there and people are definitely sleeping on what that secondary can do this year yeah it's interesting I am more concerned about the D-line and I'm more concerned about linebacker than I am in a secondary that just sent three guys that got drafted in the NFL. That's right. crazy to think that. Yeah, definitely. I would agree. Let's jump into our Buff Stampede mailbag here. Like I said, there's going to be a pretty mailbag-heavy show. we got a lot of questions. The first question here is from C. Wet Folsom. He says, sorry for the bombardment. He did uh, send in quite a few questions here. <laughs> Let's uh, start with this question here. He asks, when can we expect some of the other proven coaches on the staff to get a pay hike? I find it disconcerting that Elliot makes almost three times what Chev makes. So I don't know if CU at Folsom is aware, but they gave raises to quite a few of the coaches on the staff, and Chev Arini right. one of them. He is going to make more than $100,000 more this year than he did last year, so he's up to three seventy-five, And Elliot's set to make 700000 so that three times as much is is an exaggeration it's yeah i mean it is a significant number more i mean if you looked at purely what does these two guys do for our program i mean i think you, you would want it to be a little bit closer but chev had a lot less experience coming in i right. think it's really as simple as that he's sharing coordinator duties while dj elliott is handling that responsibility by himself so that has to be factored in as well um, i think as long as chef continues to do a good job here he will continue to see raises but it's not going to come at three hundred thousand dollars in a year that's just yeah. typically not how it works unless you're getting a promotion or you're moving on to a different program so uh, i think chef knows the deal i think he is where he wants to be and a hundred thousand dollar raise is pretty substantial so i think it's a pretty good start and then with dj elliott he made over 500k at kentucky last year so you can't get a coach from another Power 5 conference program, tell him to uproot his family, move across the country, and not give him a raise. Especially if you're living in Boulder compared to Kentucky. Right. <laughs> There's a little different cost of living there as well. So, so yeah, so that was more kind of out of necessity than anything, honestly. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want to get a defensive coordinator that's quality, you got to spend the money. The next question from Seawet Folsom. Knowing you guys are close with the BSN crew and hot take, Jake... Do either of you have similar concerns, hopefully beyond looking in their eyes, on this team's desire to win and putting the team first? My take, stating that last year they were more hungry, therefore this year they won't be as successful, seems to be a view from someone who hasn't experienced a consistent winner. Teams that win year in and year out do it with solid-slash-good talent and good-slash-solid coaching. 
Last year was magical because it was so unexpected, but just because more is expected doesn't mean the competitive spirit isn't lessened. It just may show differently. Prior to last year, I think most knowledgeable BNG fans who would have said this is the year to watch arise because the talent seemed to be better slash matured, so the talent seems to be there. Is the coaching? <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, you should have just stopped this and pretended it was your answer, because he just answered his yeah. own question. <laughs> and lastly, he says, "I am in the camp that is very nervous about Elliot." So quite a bit to it digest there. Uh, I don't even know where to start. I'll basically just say this. I say, I say this. I feel like every time someone asks this question, uh, yes, Jake has a tendency to undersell the talent of this football team. He did the same thing last year. Uh, people don't want to give him credit for He did have a pretty good read on how we were going to come out and play that bowl game last year, though. I mean, I know that the SM boys were like, they didn't look like they really wanted to be there, and that turned out to be true. So he said some crazy things, but he's also said some things that are correct as well. Um, it is probably, a, you know, he's never seen a winner, but to be honest, I haven't either, and I've been a fan for a long time. So a consistency of a winner thing, is it's been a while. Um, what I will say is this. As a fan, it's really easy to say you're going to win 10 games because you're a fan, and if it goes poorly, you can just use that as an excuse as to why you predicted that. Uh, people in the media have to actually have a reasonable opinion based on actual facts, what they see on the field, et cetera, et cetera. If we predict 10 wins and we're terrible, that comes back on us. So it's a little bit harder to say we're going to win 8, 9, 10 games if you really don't feel like that's the case. So that's why typically you see a media guy, you know, a lot of us are predicting 7, 8 wins this year. A lot of fans are predicting eight, nine, 10. Yeah. There, there's a reason for that. It's because we have to actually be held accountable for what we say in, in public. Yeah. And into his last point, being very nervous about Elliot, uh, it's hard. It's hard to quantify the, the Levitt loss. I think that's the biggest wild card going into the season. There's no question about that. Yeah. I mean, from a coaching perspective, Levitt was a stud. I mean, there's no doubt about that. You go to practice, you watch how he handles things. Guys definitely performed for him. He was an energetic guy on the field. Gets you motivated, there's no doubt about that. From what we've seen from Elliott, he's definitely a little more understated in that regard, but he seems to do a good job of making sure guys are doing what they're supposed to be doing. I saw him get after some people at the scrimmage. Um, and McIntyre's a defensive guy as well. So uh, it's one of those things where if you have the talent to be successful, in the end that usually overcomes a lot of the issues that you may have. Uh, Levitt brought in guys, got us, you know, brought that team together, and I think they have a different swagger now because of how he brought those boys up. Uh, Elliot needs to continue that, and uh, there's no doubt the defense is not going to be as good this year as it was last year, so it's going to be hard to blame Elliot for that in my eyes. I mean, if they underperform my expectations, then I'll be worried, but for now, you just have to, re I mean, you're losing eight or nine guys off your defense, four of those guys and a few others, you know, undrafted free agents in the NFL. You can't replace that in a single year. It's just not going to happen. And every preseason, a football team is going to be optimistic, especially when you're doing interviews with guys. But there were times when this program was struggling. You could see the players. You really can't. And I, it sounds like you're glorifying things when you say you look into their eyes and you sense something. But just the way certain players respond to certain things in past years, you could tell it was almost a we're trying, we're faking it until we make it type of mentality. Yeah. Versus this year's group where they genuinely have a self-belief in themselves. It's very right. evident. Yeah, I definitely disagree with that. I didn't actually even listen to what Jake said about that whole deal just based on what people were saying. I kind of got the gist of it, I believe. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't agree with that. I think this team is hungry. Um, I feel really confident. They feel really confident. 
uh, about their abilities. Uh, I don't. I don't think there's going to be any complacency in regards to how this team handles football games this year. Yeah. Dangerous asked. Knock on wood. But if one of the top cornerbacks, Oliver, Udofia, or Wigley, go down, who would be the next man up? How big of a drop off would this be? Assuming Jewel Meese is unable to re- rejoin the team, uh, Ronnie Blackman would be the first guy up, and. I think that would be a substantial drop-off in the sense that I think Ronnie Blackman, you want to keep in that nickelback role right. just because of his height. We've seen the way the staff has recruited cornerbacks. They, you can tell they don't want to put a – what is Blackman? Probably 5'9", 5'10"? 5'9", if he's lucky. Yeah, I mean, he's a pretty short guy. So. Uh, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that if you're a corner that's undersized, it's really easy for an offense to get a mismatch. All they have to do is um, move some wide receivers around in the formation, get them matched up with a taller guy, and then all of a sudden you're at an immediate disadvantage. So that makes it a little bit tougher. Um, Yeah, I mean, he's the guy that's going to play a ton. I don't know if they want Chris Miller to be a guy that's playing right away, but if you have too many injury concerns, that might be a possibility as well. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to – hopefully none of those guys get hurt. You have to feel pretty good about that top three or four. Uh, but just like anything else, if you lose a couple starters, it starts to look a little a little flimsy. That is definitely where the Jewel Me situation could hurt this team. Not right now, but if one of those guys goes down, just not having the depth. Kevin George, I guess, could be an emergency option there, but he literally just got on campus. So he was doing academic stuff, so I would imagine he's not in the world's greatest shape, even if he was working out on his own, which it sounds like he was. Uh, with Ronnie Blackman, this is going off topic here, I'm not inside the practice gate, so I don't see everything, but I disagree with this staff strategy of putting Isaiah Oliver back there again as the punt returner. Yes, he had the great return against UCLA, but aside from that, I'm t- I don't think he looked that natural back there. You can't lose him to injury, and I think Ronnie Blackman, from what I've heard, again, not, I haven't been able to see this consistently with my own eyes, but it sounds like he's a pretty natural guy back in that role. Yeah, I don't think it's a great fit for Oliver either. Even that long touchdown run, basically just no one touched him. I mean, he's freak athlete speed-wise, but he's not exactly the mo- the shiftiest person I've ever seen, which you want in a punt returner. I would think you would want somebody more in that mold to be your guy. Uh, I would be scared about Oliver getting hurt in that position as well. Uh, Blackman seems really comfortable back there. Obviously, McIntyre has had success back there before he completely fell apart last year. I would honestly rather it be those two guys because they're not – I mean, if we lose Oliver to injury on a punt return, I'm going to be real upset. Yeah. And you mentioned McIntyre. Of course, he did have the, the blow-up against Arizona State. But there was a point last season he was leading the Pac-12 in punt return yards. Yeah. So. All right, moving along next to CT Buff's question here. I asked this in an earlier thread on the message board, but Bears asking again, does CU take another running back this class? It seems to me, especially if CU lights it up on offense this year, we would be a prime destination for a blue chip running back who wants to play right away. With Max Borhe flipping to Washington State, it seems like we should be on, in the market for another every down type guy. The problem with recruiting a blue chip running back is I mean, unless you're going to poach him from if he's committed to other school. Mostly blue chip guys have already kind of mentioned or declared where they're going to college at this point. Yeah, especially with the running back position. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess obviously it's you always are going to look at someone if all of a sudden a four-star says, I want to come visit Colorado. I don't think they're going to say no, but um, I, I feel like they like what they have in the depth chart coming up, honestly. I really liked what we saw from Alex Fontenot in the scrimmage. He had a couple really nice cutbacks, looked natural back there. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, Phil Lindsay, again, was not a guy that coming in we all thought was going to light the world on fire the way that he has. They seem to like that mold of running backs, and I think they'll find somebody that can have success for them. Yeah. They were recruiting Kavon Abrams. He's a running back from Butler Community College. But I think part of that was not knowing exactly how Kyle Evans is going to come back. And even though he hasn't been practicing yet, it does sound like he's going to make a full recovery. So he returns next year. And you've got 16 verbal commits right now. There's an 85 scholarship limit. You can only take so many guys. And I'm more concerned about safety right now. Ryan Muller, Afalaba Luguda set to graduate. You've got to obviously get some defensive linemen recruited. You only have so many spots. Um, had Max Borghi been on board, yeah, they, they, they would have taken three. But I, I guess I don't see that as a concern. If I'm making recruiting concerns for this team, taking yeah. an extra back is, is going to be pretty far down that list. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. I mean, defensive line's got to be your first priority. So if you are if you have to choose between one or the other, I think this staff is definitely going to head towards the defense. But uh, for 2019 recruiting, blue chip recruit for running back would certainly be a, a top priority without question. CT Buff asked another question here, or was this his first question? This is, no, this is his second question here. Between Landon, Van Deest, and Newman, who has their red shirt pulled? I don't see us surviving on three inside linebackers all year, so someone out of that group almost assuredly plays. I'd say Van Deest, but maybe it's better to let him sit this year and make doubly sure his health issues are behind him. So I, we already kind of touched on this. I think it is going to be Carson Wells who redshirts at this point, given that he's practicing at outside linebacker right now. Van Deest, what's helped him, even though he had all those surgeries, is this kid is, is a hard worker. He went, was getting up at 5 a.m. to go to McChesney's place to do film study and pass rush technique. He was going to, I think, push performance was the other place he was working mm-hmm. on. So, That's right, yeah. Yeah, he's... For going through all those health issues, he's about as good a shape as you could expect. Yeah, he's in good shape for sure. I just think you want to get him a little stronger, especially because he had that injury to the upper half, so he's not quite as stout as you'd want there for an inside guy. Um, but you look, we talked about this before, he looked great in the scrimmage. I was really impressed with how he performed. Um, Landman would have been my the guy that I said is most likely to play before that. I still think that's probably the case just because of how comfortable he is in the scheme while Van Deest is moving positions. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. It's possible that both of those guys play. As talented as they are, and they're going to have a great future at CU, it, it certainly would be very concerning if Gamboa goes down. We, I think back to the Arizona game a few years ago when it was Watanabe and follow out there, and they were just getting absolutely torched. And it was like you just felt bad for them because they didn't deserve to be in that position at that point of their career. And I would worry about that being a similar situation if injuries occurred obviously. Yeah, I mean, we've had some linebacker issues in the past, injury-wise, so hopefully we can avoid those this year. King KB had a three-part question. Out of follow in Jewel Meese, which player represents the bigger loss to the prospects of our defense in 2017? Number two, can you step through the plans for backfilling each player and how strong these options are? Number three, any insight into the likelihood of Jewel Meese playing this season? I know it's hard to predict legal situations, but curious if you've heard whether the staff is preparing for a season-long absence. I, best the, the, I think number three is the best one to tackle first. Jewel Meese's next court date is until September 1st. And until that legal situation gets resolved, unless this gets dropped in the very near future, which again, as he said, it's hard to predict legal situations. I think you've and I know the staff is preparing that he's going to redshirt and not play this year. That's kind of how you have to view it at this point. Yeah, I mean, until you get better news. I mean, I do think 
based on the facts that we've received, I can't see this being a super, like, I don't think he's getting kicked out of school because of this. If that happens, that would be ridiculous. Yeah, I would be pretty surprised. So, um, but yeah, for this year, I think it's going to be an issue. Um, in terms of which affects the defense more this year, I would, I mean, assuming everyone else stays healthy, I would say it's bigger for NJ Follow, a uh, decent pass rushing guy. Um, there's less depth there. Um, I, I just think he would have been on the field more than Jewel Meese at this point. Um, and, and obviously between Udofi and Jewel Meese, you have two, two guys who are pretty comparable. You feel pretty comfortable with both of those. Um, replacing Follow is probably going to be a Taron Hasselbeck type role. Um, Dante Sparaco, one of those guys. Oh, and uh, they and Tim Coleman as you well. Know, Michael Matthews has actually had a pretty strong camp too. That's another name to throw in there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that, any of those guys are who's gonna, you're going to be seeing play that position, I would think. I don't strongly disagree with that. As long as you can find somebody in that kickoff return role that's pretty solid, whether that's Katie Nixon or a Lee Walker, because Joel Meese was probably slated to, to handle that, those duties again. Right. And he was really close to breaking a few last year. Uh, in terms of you know, the plans, you mentioned uh, the outside backers, and we kind of talked about, I think, Wiggly is an X-man up in terms of the Joel Meese situation. All right, up next, Buff Predictor asked, in which areas can Buffs fans be excited about Steven Montez in 2017 beyond what we witnessed in 2016? And in which areas do fans probably still need to have some patience? I'll let you lead off here, Tyler. Uh, well, I would just say overall you're going to have to have some patience with him. Um, his, his footwork needs to improve. His consistency needs to improve. His decision-making needs to improve. He's still a young guy. He's going to throw some bad balls that make you cringe at some point this year. I think that's pretty much a guarantee. Um, on the positive side, he's going to throw some balls that you won't believe he was able to get there. Uh, he's, he's Especially on those seam routes, he seems to have had a couple of those in scrimmages that we've seen. You know, right across the middle on the hash marks there that just get there, and you're just like, there's no way that <laughs> that throw right. should get there. Um, he has incredible, incredible arm strength. Uh, he looks really comfortable scrambling. Um, he did that a couple times in the scrimmage as well. He's not going to have any designed runs, but he's a great athlete, and he's going to be able to escape the pocket for sure and have some negative plays turn into some positive plays for sure. So positively, positively you'll see that. Yeah, Montez is a gunslinger. So that's both what makes you excited and what makes you need to have some patience with him. Yeah, they can open up the playbook. They're gonna he makes throws that Lufau couldn't do on a consistent basis. So that part is why you're excited. But yeah, I mean, you look at the first play of the spring game, Nick Fisher picking him off. The first series of last Saturday's scrimmage, those are the examples of where, where you're gonna have to have patience yeah. with him. He's got incredible talent, and he's gonna take some chances because of that. And I've heard, and I think this is actually a decent uh, statement that you can kind of expect him to have a similar season to what Lou Fow had, not from necessarily all the throws and, and his scrambling ability, but from a stat line. Didn't Lou Fow, I think Lou Fow had 28 touchdowns and then like 15 think, interceptions or something like that? Yeah, sophomore year. Sophomore year. Yeah, I think it'll be closer to that. I think it was 24 or 26 and 15, whatever, either way. So, similar, something similar to that. There, there's yeah. going to be some head-scratching plays. But he's also going to keep you in some games in a hurry with some unbelievable throws. What made you fans the most frustrated with that Lufau season was that a lot of those interceptions came at inopportune times. Yeah, in the fourth quarter, right at the end of the games there. Yeah. Know, Montez has got to avoid that. If Montez, like again, first play of the spring game, first series, and then bounce back, that's fine if you can kind of repeat that. Not that you ever want to see interceptions, but 
at least in these scrimmage actions, he's been doing it and then bouncing back a little bit. Yeah, I mean, as the game gets tight and the pressure goes up, you can't have those big picks because those are – we lost a couple of games on some bad throws from Cepho that year. Um, I mean, Montez will have probably some of that, but if he gives himself enough time to redeem himself, I feel pretty confident that yeah. he can. I know it was against a horrible defense, but he certainly showed some clutch factor in that Oregon game. Absolutely. All right, next up is Oli Buff with this question. Based on your reports and observations, or lack thereof, smiley face, does Lytle have the potential <laughs> to surpass Neuer this year? Is there a significant difference in terms of potential and physical skills between the two? Don't mean this, this is my response, don't mean this as a shot at Lytle on any level, but he's not surpassing Neuer, and that's just because Neuer's a damn good backup quarterback. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I would say they're actually very similar in a lot of ways. Um, but, yeah, Neuer is very, very good quarterback. I think people really want him to get surpassed. But y- you would be comfortable watching him play a couple games, I think. Um, he is still, I feel like, super under the radar in this program. People still don't talk about him a lot. I think there's going to be a point in time where he starts. Yeah. It's interesting because there's only one year of separation between him and Montez. But I just I can envision a scenario in which he's not getting on the field at some point in his career. Vin Buff fan 33 asked, I was curious about how the football team assigns the jersey numbers. Is it based on seniority or is it based on who is going to play? And Big Buffalo 26 added, to add to this question, George Frazier and Trey Udofi are both wearing number five and playing defense. Does Trey have to change for game day? Yeah, between George Frazier and, and Udofia, George is a much bigger man, and I think he will get his way in his number, <laughs> however he wants. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Is there a five on offense? Because he's going to be on offense, too, a little bit, it looked like, based on the scrimmage. So No, there is no five on offense. Okay, so that might make it a little bit different, too. Um, yeah, I mean, but yes, one of them has, is going to have to switch numbers. Yeah, it's kind of based on seniority. You've seen guys that come in and they don't get their number and then they, they switch. Rodney Stewart was one. Um, yeah, you see that happen quite a bit. In terms of freshmen, I don't know how that's decided. Because um, I know Jonathan Van Dee said he wanted to be number 44, but that's what Jacob Collier is wearing, so I don't know how they how they determine that. Hmm. What is he wearing? 31? 34? 31. 31, yeah. That's a good number, too. That's a good linebacker number. Major, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next question here. And it is from... Wasn't KO 31, too? Yeah. Nice. All right, we got another question here. Nippus13 asked, Has there been any talk about true freshman offense alignment, their sizes, and how they've done through camp so far? I know Moretti and Polly are nursing injuries, though. Yeah, we kind of already touched on this. Um... Heston Page reminds me of kind of the, the old lineman that they used to recruit. You bring them in and you got to develop them. But, yeah, again, Paulie and Sherman. I mean, big boys. Yeah. Big, big boys. <laughs> they don't look like 18-year-olds. <laughs> it's tough for, for Moretti because he really hasn't been able to do anything 100% aside from rehab for over a year now. And you can kind of tell that his his frame is not as big yet even as it was a couple years ago. Um, but he's – Got the structure, you know, when he finally gets the green light to go do stuff, he's going to blow up pretty quick. Yeah. Blue Sky Buff asked, we have to redshirt Ento, right? Three question marks. It's pretty emphatic about this. Kid seems like our number one or two wide receiver next year, so I really hope we don't play him as our fourth or fifth this year. 
I've been pretty outspoken about this. I talked about it on Michael Clark's segment, the Rock and See You last Saturday. I think it's wrong. Unless you have injuries, I think Rento needs to redshirt, but it does not sound like that's their plan right now. Yeah, I mean, it would be huge for the program if he did. Um, it doesn't sound like that's going to happen, which is a little unfortunate, but it's really up to him. I mean, I think they're, you know, if he if he wants to play anything, he can help this team this year. I mean, he can't. He's a really good receiver. Um, but, yeah, it would be big time if you could get him back next year um, and put him next to a – LaVisca Chenault, and I'd feel pretty good about this wide receiver court Juwan next Winfrey. year as well. Yeah, Juwan Winfrey back for one more year. Jay McIntyre's back. That's a pretty solid little core there. Yeah. It does help that Ento's cross-training so that he can at least not just back up the Z, for example. He can actually get reps at those different receiver positions. That will help him get on the field. But, yeah, I just – Could he be a kickoff returner? If if Jewel Meese doesn't do it, I mean he's certainly athletic. Could he? Yeah, I don't know if he'd be your top option. I don't know. He's more of kind of a straight line guy, which can, can sometimes work. Brian Lockridge actually was okay doing that. Um, I, I I don't know. I, I would like somebody like a Katie Nixon. I think back there a little bit more, but that wouldn't be the worst option. Well, I mean you gotta have two, right? So right, but. Yeah, I, mean, I think Lee Walker is going to be one of them, though. They seem to like his ability to block, plus his straight line. He, as a secondary returner, he can be pretty dynamic as well. And another question from Blue Sky Buff. Any upper-class redshirt candidates? So I looked at the eligibility chart, and aside from um, Ento, they're really – I mean, Johnny Huntley's not even an upperclassman. He's probably the only non-freshman right, yeah. that might redshirt this season. Yeah, I think he – it has a pretty good chance to, but he's just a sophomore, so not an upperclassman yet. And then obviously Josh Fala, who's redshirting while serving his suspension. NJ. I don't know if that counts. What did I say? Jo- jo- <laughs> yeah, I said Josh Fala. All right, and Blue Sky Buff also wanted to know, do you think Bisharat is coming along at running back? Is there still any chance he moves to defense? Who do you think will be the 2018 starting running back? I'd really like to hear a CSU breakdown of prediction. So CSU, we're too far away f- from that game to start doing that. And we'll do some coll- collaborative stuff with Ryan Krauss, who is the Colorado State scout guy. Um, in terms of running back for 2018, I think Kyle Evans has certainly got a shot. I mean, yeah, he'd be the front runner right now, I would think. Bo Bisharat, it wouldn't shock me either. <sighs> I need to see more out of Bo Bisharat. Okay. To be honest, he looked fine in the middle of the field, but he really struggled in goal line, and that's he runs pretty, seen that pretty too straight, straight up. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I don't know. I still secretly wish that they could move him to linebacker. I think he could have a big career there, but again, it's kind of his deal. Uh, but he's got to he's got to be better on the goal line if he wants to play here. I think because you can't be a big running back who can't score from the one. I did an interview with Darian Hagen, and I haven't put it up on the site yet, but he'll go in more detail from what he's seen from Bisher at the last year, so we'll look for that on the side. Elrod had this to say. Can you guys do a PSA on the podcast stating that long-winded or multi-question posts won't be answered on the radio? I'm reading through this thread thinking to myself, wrap it up! And how are people going to ask you to go through the whole roster to talk about backups at each position? It's a mailbag segment, not Burger King. He's pretty fired up about this. I don't, I don't really have a problem with it. Yeah, I mean, some of the questions are long. There's a few that I wish we just kind of answered in the thread that we got. <laughs> like, it'd be nice if we had a two-sentence question that we could talk about. 
But, you know, people are excited about football. I can't blame them for that. Well, Elrod will like this one because it's from Although Buff I will, making it. I will like to say that he made this mailbag segment longer by asking that question. So <laughs> he's part of the problem now. All right. You know, he won't have a problem with this question from Buff Nick. It's, it's to the point. What recruits not currently committed to the Buffs should we keep an eye on for official visits this year? So we talked earlier about the emphasis needing to be on defense alignment, so that's where you're going to really see it. You've got 16 commits, offense alignment and skill guys. So in terms of the official visitors, mostly D linemen. And then certainly the committed guys will all come out on their official visit as well. Jeremiah Martin is a pretty highly regarded guy that said he plans to take an official visit to Boulder. Sal Spina, a three-star guy, has said that he plans to as well. A couple other guys I would expect to take an official visit to, to Colorado are Tava Finau. He's not doing interviews with anyone, I don't think, but he's a defensive lineman CU's offered. And Tyler Manoa, another defensive guy that, that Colorado's after. Maybe Casey Rogers, the prep school guy out east, that it sounds like they really just want to watch him one time this fall and then potentially offer him a scholarship is another one. Uh, maybe B.J. Williamson. He's a Tulsa safety commit right now that was trying to get out to Boulder this summer but didn't end up doing it. Those are some of the names off the top of my head. Uh, but, yeah, again, it's going to be mostly the commits that are already on board. They're going to be taking some official visits. And McIntyre and his staff have traditionally tried to get those guys to come out after the season so they can spend more time with them. All right, last question here for the mailbag. TKH11 asked, Always enjoy your broadcast. There are three commitments still not rated by Scout. When might we see them rated? Also, the team recruiting rankings seem to follow the 24-7 formula. Will Scott eventually have their own team rankings? So that is actually a really good question because I know that Deion Smith and who else isn't rated right now? Broussard? Somebody? Yeah, Jarek Broussard, I think. Those guys were three stars before they moved to the new platform. So that, I think, is just an error that I got to get Well, I think they're probably using the 247 ratings right now when they did the crossover so 247 I mean they don't have, they didn't have a publisher before so it's not quite yeah. as dialed in we'll, we'll get it back up so if you haven't heard CBS now owns Scouts and CBS also owns 24-7 Sports and we do things a little bit differently Scouts more on the subscription model 24-7 was more on the advertising model but now we're under the same umbrella and they're actually planning to merge sites. Like you mentioned, Tyler, there was no Colorado 24-7 publisher, so it's an easy transition for us. I don't know what day this is going to happen, but eventually we will be 24-7 sports, which is fine. I think they do some innovative things. They have better technology than what Scott had before. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of change in the last couple of years for you and yeah. I, I guess, as well. But, I mean, yeah, I think this is... A pretty good change. There's a lot more stability because we have two different platforms under the same name. CBS is really, I mean, they're big. They do a lot of recruiting, so I don't yeah. think this is really going anywhere. CBS owns Max Preps too. I wonder if that will eventually Take merge on. as well. I don't know, but uh, I actually kind of like the 24/7 Sports name a little bit more than Scout, just because Scout I think projects that we're a scouting service, which is not the case. We cover recruiting, but. I would have kids contact me all the time, like thinking that I'm going to help them get a scholarship. And so I think there's a little bit of a misperception out there. Yeah. If you, if you come to me to get a scholarship, you're in, you're in trouble. <laughs> You've gone too far down the list. 
Well, we got some basketball topics to talk about as well before we uh, sign off on this show. Unfortunately, the TBT Colorado team falls short in their attempt for $2 million. They won their first two games, but then bowed out in the third round. They beefed up their roster, but they didn't get Xavier Silas involved on their team because he was in that big three tournament. And I think just that tournament's more beefed up now, right? I mean, there's a lot of talent. Um, they did not play well in the game that they lost. To say the least, Josh Scott, it was his first game, was not good in that game at all. Um, pretty much everyone but Marcus Hall in that game was pretty awful, sadly. It was an ugly game to watch. Um, it was disappointing. I mean, they had talent to make it pretty far overseas to one for the third time in a row. Uh, but watching that championship game, I thought we had just as much talent as they did. And, and uh, Team ALS, the team that they beat in the finals at similar talent level to us as well. A lot of guys you recognize, though, a lot of former college studs, a lot of few NBA former guys in that tournament. There's definitely a lot of talent, so it was a pre- pretty cool deal. Um, I hope they continue to grow it because they do a really nice job with it. Yeah, I, I would envision that they'll be back for another run next year, and, and it goes beyond just going for that $2 million. It's As Bo Gamble said to me, it's just the, the camaraderie that's created, and it kind of bridges these different generations of Colorado yeah. basketball and connects them even with the current one, and it's really cool how Tad Boyle welcomes them in for their training camp, and they're able to scrimmage the current team and, and – uh, you know, develop a relationship with the McKinley Wright. Um, and so it's definitely a good deal. And then there have been sponsors that have stepped up every year. This year, Bus for Life was was involved in it as well. So it's, it's helping them financially be able to do this. Um, even if, you know, even if they don't get that $2 million, I think it's definitely worth it for sure. What were your observations in the whole five minutes that you got to watch the team practice last Saturday before we ventured over to Folsom Field? Yeah, we didn't see much. Um, I thought Evan Batty was in really good shape. Um, compared to what he we had seen from him in high school, he looked really comfortable. He's a really good athlete. Um, Tyler Bay is a lot bigger than I thought he was going to be. He's a legitimate six foot eight. He's almost as tall as Tory Miller. Super lanky. He's going to be big time player for us. I really like. I really like that. Didn't get to see much of McKinley Wright, so I'll be back to watch some more practices. But I think we have a little more. The freshmen look a lot more ready to play than maybe I was expecting as a general over overall view of what they're what they're going to be able to do this year. I still don't think they're a tournament team by any stretch. They're a young group. That's usually not good for tournament potential. Uh, but the future of the program is just fine. Yeah, I'm going to do an interview with Tyler Bay before they head off to Italy, and I'm going to ask him if he wouldn't mind just walking over to the hoop and putting his arm up. I want to see how close to the rim that arm gets. He's so long. Yeah, he's going to be a menace once he gets all the defensive schemes down. Uh, he's going to be one of my favorite players, I know for sure. So John Prelo accepts the San Jose State head coaching job. Uh, certainly congratulations go out to him. He put in a lot of time here at CU, and it certainly deser- it seemed like he deserved that opportunity. Uh, what, were, what were your initial reaction to, well, to, to him leaving Boulder? Uh, he's kind of a general-type mentality, I guess I would say. He's not, he doesn't have the most sparkling personality you've ever seen in the entire world, but he's going to make you work hard, um, and you know that's what you need from an assistant. He No-nonsense, uh, really good coach. I know Tad loved him. The staff definitely enjoyed him, as, or the players definitely enjoyed him as well. They liked playing under him. So, uh, I mean, he's, he's a deserving guy, I think. Um, He's got the right mindset to turn around a program that they they've had struggles up there. So um, he's going to get some time, hopefully, to turn it around. 
And shockingly, in his press conference, he said they're going to focus on defense and rebounding. <laughs> that was the most obvious quote of all time. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, it's awesome. Tad's getting a little coaching tree the last few years. That's, yeah. That's that's a good sign that you're doing the right things. Probably uh, Mike Rohn, probably up next. He's done a great job at CU. He's really undervalued. I think I probably the average CU fan doesn't realize how good a recruiter he is and how much he's helped them during his tenure in Boulder. So I know you're excited about this, Tyler. Kim English comes aboard to replace Prelo. And obviously this is pending the background search, so hopefully there's nothing, no skeletons in the closet. He's in Boulder uh, after they get back from Italy. Uh, it doesn't sound like they're going to be able to get this whole thing wrapped up before they leave. But uh, he's only got, what, one full season as a college assistant. But in that one year, he helped uh, Tulsa pull in their uh, top two commits yeah he's a big time recruiter um, has a great reputation around college basketball ranks and on the AAU circuit as well it's a former NBA player played in college as well and was a big time player at Missouri when we were in the big 12 so um, he's going to relate to the kids you know you got to have a younger guy on staff Um, big time personality I think he's exactly what we needed to replace a guy like Gene we've been um, you you don't don't want to have a staff that's all kind of in that same mold um, in terms of personality (laughs) and and in personality as well a little bit to some degree so um, I think he's a perfect addition for them home run hire I mean every major outlet every major college basketball guy loved the hire that's usually a pretty good sign yeah and then uh, 2018 men's basketball recruiting is really starting to heat up here the July evaluation period just ended and right now is kind of that time in which 2018 recruits are narrowing down their list and they're starting to figure out where they're going to take their official visits. Colorado has always tried to bring those guys out. The weekend there's a home football game. And that was huge with them getting three four-star guys last recruiting cycle. Every one of those guys, Evan Batty, Tyler Bay, and Deshaun Schwartz mentioned the football atmosphere is part of what made their official visit so special. So yeah, they need to get guys out for Washington if that plays out. I mean, we might get game day that day. There's been rumors, be two ranked teams. That would yeah. be a big-time atmosphere if we were able to do that. I just did an update on Elijah Parquet, uh, Southeast Texas combo guard, who has the buffs at the top of his list. Dalen Koontz says he's going to announce on September 15th. And I've got a short list of guys that Colorado has at the top of their list in terms of 2018 recruiting. So kind of teasing that here. Definitely stay tuned to buffstampede.com for more men's basketball coverage. Um, So anything else here? Nope. We're we're just a little bit closer to the season opener. but uh, I didn't even tell you this, but I'm going to practice on Tuesday. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Chris Chris got the special invite. Donor practice, so we're going to get one more in. So... The hierarchy fan correspondent is a, is above is above me, currently. Hey man, just hit up hit up the boys, see if they'll let you in too. I mean, if you went, I don't think they would know. <laughs> There's even a day where students get to go in and we can't. I know it's pretty ridiculous, isn't it? But it'll be cool for you guys. Hopefully, I have something interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for this show. Appreciate you guys for tuning in, and we'll definitely be back with another show or two before that Rocky Mountain Showdown.